0: Fit Toys.
1: Welcome to episode 661 with my return guest, Jesse Neeland. It was really nice to see them again. Uh, I hadn't seen them in, I don't know, was it five years since uh, we recorded last? Anyways, uh, really, really fruitful conversation talking about uh, them uh, coming out as non-binary, uh, being in a non-monogamous relationship. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a great conversation. I hope you. Uh, I hope you dig it my name is paul Gilmartin. i'm not a therapist good lord no i was a former jackass on basic cable cooking chicken cracking jokes touring around the country making making people giggle and here i am talking about heavy shit what happened my brain is a little it's a little fried today i uh was fortunate enough to be able to participate in a uh teleconference for uh, mental health put together by a bunch of nice people from, uh, from Connecticut. And, uh, it was from six to eight in the morning for me. And I go to bed about four in the morning. <laughs> so I decided I'm just going to stay up and plow through it, drink some coffee. So needless to say, my, uh, my sleep schedule is a little messed up and I feel like I'm somewhere between, uh, a thousand feet underwater and, jogging on the moon. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> so buckle up. I have no idea how reading surveys, my eyes are crossing as I read. This should be uh this should be interesting. And just remind people, um, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I know ninety-nine percent of you already know that. Thank you to those of you who have been uh signing up on Patreon. We've been having Awesome uh, for the $20 a month and above level. We've been having a really awesome Sunday night support group slash hangout on Zoom. And uh, I think we had 22 people this uh, this last Sunday and got into a lot, of roli- a lot of really good stuff. And we are at 746 patrons. We are halfway, almost exactly halfway towards our goal of getting 1500 Patreon donors so that uh, the podcast can break even. Yeah, we are. um, I'm going through my savings. Going through my savings. Let's read some surveys. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by a guy who calls calls himself, What the fuck? Dude, I don't know. What the fuck? What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? It's strange. The voice is one voice, but it takes many forms. In my mind, I've separated the depression brain from the healthy brain. Is this beneficial? Uh, Who knows? It helps me keep those thoughts and voice at a healthier distance and in the correct perspective. The thing that makes it challenging is the depressive voice doesn't burst into a library screaming fire. It's like a demonic chameleon that knows how to say things. My healthy brain would say, or latches onto borderline thoughts. I.e., it was rude. Was I rude to this person? A real self-aware thought. I think most people experience, and it'll take the normal thought and slowly twist and contort. My emotions begin to tumble, and I wonder if it's regular sadness, or is this going to be a quagmire I slip in and get stuck in for hours, days, weeks, etc dude. So good. So good. I've been saying for years that like when addiction issues or even depression comes at you, it is like the Terminator. It shapeshifts. It'll come at you with, oh, nobody, nobody cares about you. Uh, You know, you get rejected. You're a failure, but it never stays as one thing. The next thing it's like, oh, your, your car sucks. You should have a better car or you're you have failed in your attempt to do this but it yes it is it is awake before we are awake and when i first open my eyes in the morning the first feelings are dread that i'm not going to be able to tackle my to do list and that i'm i'm a failure before i put my feet on the ground that's what my brain is telling me that's why we need support groups that's why we need people in our life Oh, thank you for that. I like how I'm getting all work. I'm actually sweating. It's probably 65 outside, and I'm sweating. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, please stop telling me that I look like my mother. Uh And she writes, I'm in a 12-step program for food addiction, and I'm all in, except for when it comes to step nine. Uh, Step nine, by the way, is we made uh, amends to people that we have hurt. Uh, When I was at the height of my insanity, I used sex to feel better about myself, having affairs with married men while I was married. I had a job which involved a high moral standard. I shirked my responsibilities in this position as well as having affairs. I get sick to my stomach thinking about my past. And step nine, even even as I also desperately want to end the insanity of addiction, I know that the quote injuring them or others piece. Would apply to the affairs. One of the the things in step nine is uh made direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And so that's what she's referring to. Um, how do I dress these rather amorphous sins of omission? Because it's been many years since I was in my position. Most of the people who were affected by my behavior are are dead. Is a living amends, a cop out? No, it is not a cop out. Um, I think the fact that you have changed and you're not engaging in those behaviors and the fact that you, um, have done some of, of, uh, the amends that were appropriate rather than, you know, like for, for instance, one of the things in 12 step groups that you don't want to do is you don't want to, you know, for instance, go to somebody and say, you know, I've been talking shit about you to everybody for 10 years, convincing them, you know, that, that this or that, or this or that actually, maybe that's a terrible, a terrible one, because that would affect the person, Uh, you know, maybe, maybe something along the lines of, um, you know, for years, uh, I, I couldn't stand you. And the only way I could sleep at night was me imagining myself punching you in the face. That person doesn't need an amends because you didn't, they they didn't know about it and what you did did not hurt them. Does that make sense? Oh, I'm already hating the examples that I used. What are we, seven minutes in? It's all going down the toilet. This is uh, from the Ask Paul Anything survey as well. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Crow's Feet. And she uh, asked, Do you read fiction? I don't. Um, the, the last. Piece of fiction that I wrote uh read was Dune, and I really liked it. And it was cool too because the uh, HBO movie came out shortly after that. And I th- I feel like they did a really good job uh with it. Um do you like uh sci-fi westerns, etc.? Do you have a favorite book? I my favorite is nonfiction, especially. I think my favorite author, if you've never read anything by him, Walter Isaacson. He wrote the definitive book on, uh, I believe it was Ben Franklin, uh, did one on Steve Jobs, did one on Silicon Valley, and he does such thorough research, but at the heart of it, he's an amazing storyteller, and you just, you can't put his books down. And the other thing that I really like about his books, for instance, when he did this the Steve Jobs one, um, he said uh, to Steve Jobs, I will only write this book um, if, if I can say what I need to say about you with no holds barred, there will be no editing on your part. I'm going to tell the truth. And Steve Jobs agreed to that. And it killed him. So yes, I'm saying Walter Isaacson is a murderer. But he writes a nice book. Uh, do you have favorite recipe from all your seasons on dinner in a the movie? There are... 999 percent of the meals were fucking amazing. Occasionally we I, like I was not a fan of goat. I think we ate chocolate covered bugs one time. Was not a fan of that. But I uh and haggis, we made haggis one time. Not a fan of that. But every other thing, and there was a cookbook still floating around there called um Claude Mann's Dinner in a Movie cookbook. And if you just Google it, I'm sure you'll be able to find a copy. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey, and this is filled out by uh, a person who calls themselves Mightiest Bug about their ADD. They write, It feels like there's a ball of yarn where my brain should be, and I can't find the beginning or the end. Also, there are bees, bees in my brain about their PTSD unskippable ads detailing the worst moments of my life. That is such a good one. Those are awesome. Thank you for that. Could I be making more paper rattling noises? People say they like it. I'm sure there are people that don't like it, but uh, I'm old school. What are you going to do? This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by Anita Bath. I see what you did there, Anita. And uh, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? You are not living up to your potential. You don't give enough of yourself. Others are disappointed in you. There isn't enough time to be responsible, pay bills, clean house, etc. Grow as a professional, work, go to grad school and take care of my mental health. Rest, play, socialize. This one is so uh, universal. I think so many of us think those exact things. And I would suggest to anybody who relates to that one is one of the things they do in cognitive behavioral therapy is ask yourself, what are the facts on the ground? If the facts aren't on the ground, fucking let it go. Try to live in today. And the other thing that I I wanted to share is, my and my girlfriend reminded me of this because I... I had a heart to heart talk with her this this last weekend because I I don't share this with many people but I go through periods where I experience suicidal ideation. It's nowhere near the kind of I have to call and, you know, have myself put in, you know, a 72-hour hold. It's nothing like that. It's there's there's no plan. There's just fleeting thoughts thoughts that bring me comfort in knowing that that's always an option. And I hate saying that out loud, but I know I'm not alone in that. And I don't usually tell people that because I don't want them to worry about me. And so I preface this by sharing it with her. But I said, I'm sharing this with you because I want, I want you, if I, if I, seem out of it, or down, or preoccupied, um, sometimes that's where my head goes. And I want you to know all of me. I want you to, um, I want to be transparent so that you know when I'm struggling, because I know that you would want to know when I'm struggling. And um, she freaked out and broke up with me. No, she she heard me and... uh, yeah, she was a little concerned, uh, as I think anybody would be when you, when you share that with somebody, but, you know, it brings up the interesting question of when do we share it? I know we're supposed to share it with a therapist and a lot of people are under the, uh, wrong assumption that if you share that you have fleeting thoughts of, of suicidal ideation, uh, that you're going to be committed that, that, should not ever be the case with a licensed professional. the only reason that you should be committed um, involuntarily is if you are in in imminent danger of yourself to yourself or someone else so um all of this is a long way of saying regarding this survey um, you're so many of the things that you are beating on yourself up about is all about what you are doing in terms of productivity, cleaning your, your job, stuff like that. And when I was sharing with my girlfriend that one of the things that feeds the darkness is the lack of what I feel is professional productivity. And I just, I feel lazy and then I feel like a, like a bad person and um, less of a bad person and more of just somebody who's just uh, pissing away, pissing away the, the things that they've been given in this world. And she said something that I want to say to all of you, which is when you're looking at your quote unquote productivity in your life, Look at your experiences. Look at the human connection that you've had, the times that you've been of service to people, and things that you've gotten to discover. Those are all a part of having a good life. It's not just about making money or keeping the house clean. Uh, And I felt this in Incredible comfort when she reminded me of that because that I do know I go to my support groups without fail I make phone calls and I receive phone calls from people every day But the mean voice in our brain is like no that doesn't matter we need to focus on you know professional professional growth or cleaning the house or I don't know if any of that makes sense. I'm half awake, but I can tell you it's nice here on the moon. This is also from the voice in your head survey filled out by a guy who calls himself AC and he gets right to it. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? I'm a loser. I will never be happy. I like the brevity of the mean voice in your head. It's not much of a talker gets in there, rolls its sleeves up destroys your self-esteem and uh and goes to lunch there's something there's something kind of nice about that this episode is sponsored by Blissy. i uh they make pillowcases and they make them in silk and i never knew that there's uh, a real difference between satin and silk Uh, satin is a man-made fiber, whereas silk is natural and much better at regulating the temperature. A lot of other benefits as well. But uh, I tried their pillowcase. I, I, I really dig it. It's, uh, I didn't have to flip the, the pillow over for the cool side. The, the one side stayed cool. Uh, I like it. I think you should try it. Blissey Silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone, and men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now, risk-free, for 60 nights at blissycom slash mental, and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash mental, and then use the code mental to get an additional 30%. 30% off. Sleep cooler this summer with Blissy. And then finally, this is from the struggle in a sentence survey, and this is filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as emissary of the bird men. I don't know what that means, but I'm on board about their depression. Uh, having bipolar disorder. It feels like there's a valve that controls the amount of life that pours into my body. God is turning it up and down from a trickle to a deluge. And back again in an attempt to demonstrate to me how little free will I really have. Boy, that one is deep. About being a sex crime victim. Feels like phantom pain, white-hot rage, a feeling of separation from people I used to relate to, constant management of potential threats. And about experiencing sexual bias. Being assigned female feels like a life sentence to being viewed as half a human snapshot from their life when I was psychotically manic and I believed I was a fairy I was biking up and down a country road and ranting to myself when I saw a man walking like a zombie coming towards me when I got closer he was walking normally he waved me down and we had a short strange conversation where he asked me if I was Irish I am and he told me his name the same as my dead grandfather's he said he tried to start a business, but he thought his luck had run out. I think I saw him a year later at a bipolar disorder support group.
0: My consciousness might be disintegrated heavy-weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him.
1: Post-traumatic stress. When I was
0: like five years old was Pulp Fiction.
1: (laughs) And moral injury. I
0: would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. With my Barbies.
1: (laughs) the greatest
0: source of our suffering ordinary is where all the good stuff happens is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions is very hard to heal in dark isolation i developed compassion it is in connection and community where that happens the process was nearly unbearable like i'm gonna have to kill myself
1: we'll be right back after this (laughs) i am here again with jesse neil thank you for coming back i uh, I really enjoyed our conversation last time we We covered a lot of ground. We talked about um, body image, how it relates to childhood sexual trauma. And since we spoke a year or two, three years four, ago, four, four years, years yeah. ago, um, you now identify as, as non-binary. Your pronouns are they, them. I will probably fuck that. Up. Uh, apologies in advance. Totally fine. Uh, and I, I could be wrong, but I would imagine most people who don't identify as binary and have they, them pronouns uh, aren't looking for perfection, are just looking for the effort and the compassion.
0: 100%. And this is actually something I find very frustrating because there are people in my life who refuse to start because they're so afraid of like messing it up yeah. that it ends up where I'm like, just occasionally then, like just once in a while, it would be yeah. nice to hear you try. It would mean so much to me. And I, I feel like that fear of making mistakes or getting it mixed up, it keeps people from even being able to put in that little bit of like, I see you, I believe you. Yeah. Uh, that feels so caring to me. So yeah, Definitely. Has nothing to do. With, like m- mistakes are no issue at all. Yeah. Uh,
1: you you've got a book out now called uh, Body Neutrality. It's
0: body neutral.
1: Body neutral. Mm-hmm. And what what does the term body neutral mean?
0: So um, body neutrality is the work that I do as a body image coach is focused on body neutrality as the goal, as opposed to you know what a lot of the mainstream messages from body positivity are like to love your body or kind of feel good about your body all the time I see so it's not
1: uh, in terms of gender it's in terms of kind of self-acceptance how you
0: It's a yeah it's about body image and I would say that gender can play a major role but it depends on the person Right It's about stripping to me body neutrality is about stripping away all the um false and excess meaning significance you know, narratives, importance, all that stuff that gets placed on your body, so that you can just see it for what it is. Which by is ourselves,
1: a body. by society, by loved ones, all of it, all of the yeah. above. Uh, give me some of the greatest hits of the the things that uh, wow. you're trying to address. Yeah, in this book. I mean,
0: a major, a major thing. Like the reason we struggle with body image issues is because we give our bodies an excessive amount of power for one reason or another. Otherwise, it would just be a preference. It's you can have a preference to look different and be body neutral. Those things can coexist just like you can, you know, be OK with your house and also, you know, kind of wish it were bigger or cleaner. Right? right. So what I like to think of the body neutrality processes as, is as getting people back to a place where it can just be a preference where like you look in the mirror and go, no, it's not how I would have wanted to look. And then you move on with your day. It doesn't well, have power over you.
1: Rather than a drill sergeant telling you. There's a finish line that you need to reach in. You're not a right. whole person. until Rather than you get like there.
0: spiraling you and tanking your mood and making you change your plans and all these things. But in order to do that, you have to figure out what power you've subconsciously given it. And for a lot of people that comes down to my worth is related to my body in this one or other mm-hmm. way. So really untangling that stuff so that you know even if you don't like what you see it's not connected to your self-worth it's not connected to your belief that you can get your emotional needs met in the world mm-hmm. it's not connected to any of these like false and and mm-hmm. excess things that we attach to it so that you can just say okay well i don't really care for that and that's okay
1: that's great. If 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 somebody can get
0: there, it's so yeah. hard.
1: With the how mean the Ooh. the self talk is for for most people, and uh, especially especially for sexual assault and uh, violation survivors whose body and sexuality was a currency, was a power yeah. that was used against them, yeah. and for. for for many of us, it it we don't even think about the fact that we then go through our lives using it as leverage to manipulate, to yeah. charm, to get self-validation. Yeah.
0: Transactional. And,
1: transactional yeah. and never really being able to, even if we think of it intellectually, that I'd like th- this to be a vehicle for deeper emotional connection and mm-hmm. partnership, um, we emotionally have a struggle getting there. Yeah. Ta- ta- talk about what it's been like for you to, is Gracie looking at yeah. your hands? Sorry about that. Um, she's just looking for validation. I don't know what her Spend past action. is like. Yes, she was on the street. <laughs> so God knows what happened to her. But, uh, but talk about the uh, the the arc of learning to, to not treat your body as something for leverage or power
0: god it's so hard because you're rewarded i mean you're motivated on either side right so you might be a person with a history of being rewarded for looking a certain way or striving to look a certain way meeting certain ideals having this transactional relationship with you know i look good so people treat me nicely or i find a partner i lose weight
1: mom notices
0: exactly or you might have a history of relationship to it where it's like You have a lot of negative experiences, a lot of body shaming, a lot of rejection, you know, and you could have a mix, but it's really difficult to separate. These are my genuine, authentic emotional needs. And this is the drive for privilege, status and power, Mm -hmm. because we've kind of been taught that they're the same thing. Right. And so starting to separate those out is one of the first, I think, really important pieces of the process so that then you can say, okay, well, what am I hoping that having more you know, positive attention, status, power, privilege, whatever it is, is going to get me, and can I go after that in the body I have today? I'm
1: so so glad you mentioned that, because I think one of the most important things, if we're going to grow and become authentic, is understanding what our intentions are. Why am I doing this? A lot of times, young comedians um, will ask me, do you have any advice? And I would always say, what is your intention? And becoming a stand-up comedian is it to get laid is it to be famous is it to be rich or is it because you love the craft of stand-up comedy understand that before you get into it because um i don't think there's anybody we lie to as much as as ourselves and so what were those possibly those those issues that were in that gray area for you between what society valued in you and what you wanted for yourself and how did you untangle that
0: well for me personally as somebody who have a self-objectifier background and sexual trauma and all the things i learned that my value and my ability to get my needs met and my sense of safety all these things my worth were all wrapped up in um men's approval of me meaning I had to fit a certain kind of conventional ideal in order to be desirable to men. And there was sort of this idea that if they liked me and approved of me, I would get higher status, I would get my needs met, and then like somehow they wouldn't hurt me also. It was like all sort of wrapped up together, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that is what I learned and had to unpack. But what I would say I wanted in all of that, you know, I would think to myself, I just like the attention, I like the validation. And it's immediate. Absolutely. But what I, I think I had to get to a place of saying, what what do I really want out of attention and validation? What am I actually hoping for? Mm-hmm. And getting to the more like vulnerable answer, which is I want to feel seen. And I wasn't feeling seen. And so that started to poke holes in the strategy where I was like, oh, because I could do this forever. I'm going to be insecure. It seems like a waste of time. But I could just keep pursuing this strategy. But I can now see that it's not actually getting me what I want. So I started going after... Um, just a whole bunch of other ways of feeling seen, like taking up space in relationships differently, learning to communicate my needs differently, doing...
1: And what do you mean when you say taking up space differently in a relationship?
0: I think that along with the desirable ideal that I learned um, for you know women and femmes was like to have no needs whatsoever and (laughs) be very very laid back and chill and cool and down with anything so um, smile
1: smile that 50s -hmm. housewife smile kind of yeah while your ulcer churns
0: i mean if you think about like a sex object like you're not a sex object is not then supposed to be like hey can you do emotional labor on my behalf like the the exchange we're taught is ideal at least in men's mind is you, you don't really need anything so um and I learned that even in friendships and things. So I started. Much, or what you need is too much. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you're, and <laughs> yeah. you're the problem for needing that. I am too that. emotional. I am too needy. I am so difficult. Oh, Why these do were, you have
1: to cry? These were know? big
0: shame points. Absolutely. But I think just learning, like, I want to feel seen. And that's OK. That's like a very basic human need. In fact, that's not like me being some <laughs> you know, overly demanding person. Greedy,
1: Jesse. Yeah. Greedy.
0: And and ultimately what I've realized looking back is like I never felt as good about being validated for how I looked or being hot or any of those things as I feel when someone like compliments my writing or my sense of humor or, you know, like there's these things I really like about myself that when someone compliments that I'm like, oh, yes, like, thank you. I it's love amazing, that about me, it's too. It's an amazing feeling. Yes. And I think with the appearance stuff, it just always rang hollow. It was like you know, the the low-fat, dairy-free, sugar-free version of ice cream. Like, you're like, yeah, it's a dessert, but it's not hitting the spot the way you want it to. So I think for me, yeah, just identifying that the strategy didn't work. And I do that with clients, too. Like, I help them... Uh, try to get to the heart of where there's, like, a superficial but definitely true story. Like, I want the validation. It's not a lie. Right. It's just there's something underneath, and there's right. something underneath, and getting to that changes everything.
1: And and there's nothing wrong with that is your desire at that point in mm-hmm. your path as a human being. You shouldn't feel shame about that, but being conscious of it yeah. gives you – A bit of a roadmap as to what you are and ideally where you might want to be if you do want to get out of that that headspace.
0: I've even done, like, you know, um, experiments, if you will, with clients where, like, I will have them get on Tinder and post a bunch of sexy photos and write a sexy bio and just, like, rake in the validation for a little while and then check in. Do you feel more nourished, whole, (laughs) happy? Like, just check in. Right. Because if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I could never get that – Or, you know, whatever, maybe I shouldn't want to get that. There's something wrong with me that I want that. I'm like, let's find out. Because if the answer at the end is, I feel amazing, then carry on. (laughs) Like, you did it. But most people will discover, you know, it's not giving me what I was hoping it would give me. And that gives us information and an in to be like, okay, what is it that's missing here?
1: And so what did you find? You mentioned feeling seen in ways that have to do with your uh, creativity, your intellect. Um, How about compliments about your interpersonal skills what what did you did you find anything a lot of us sometimes don't know that we have value to to our friends sure
0: yeah um i mean i think i think there's been like Friendship compliments and things like that. I guess it probably more in the space of communication. I don't think I'm a particularly generous person <laughs> or friend. So, I know a lot of people take their self worth from being like you know givers, and I don't know that that's you're me. talking
1: about emotionally giving or gifts or all what? of it. Yeah,
0: I'm. It's just not something that comes naturally to me. So I, I feel like yeah, the the things that just amp me up and make me feel seen, they're just all more interesting and deeper parts of who I am. And at this point, if someone tries to compliment me on how I look, I feel like bored. I'm like, OK, if that's all you've got, you know, like right. if, if that's all you're seeing, we're not going to there's nothing here. And obviously that, you know, it depends on if we literally just met for the first moment versus like, you know, later down the line. But it just it it lost a lot of its power when I stopped putting that much importance on it.
1: Have you ever experienced someone seeing the parts of you that you're not crazy about and I don't mean physically, I mean it internally. But there was a reaction from them that was more compassionate and understanding than you had anticipated.
0: Every day in my partnership basically um I've been with my partner since uh just before the pandemic and I feel like this happens all the time. Because I, I feel like partnership is so much harder than uh every other part of my life. It's something that I Like I said, I don't think it comes naturally to me. I'm not a nurturer. I'm not a caregiver. And there's a lot about partnership that I've resisted or or had baggage around. And I still do. You know, I'm still working through my stuff. So uh, I find it really difficult. And I think every other relationship before this one, I would just like either self-implode or, you know, act out or try to hide it and keep it from being too difficult or whatever. Um, but yeah, he has seen all of it—the the messiest, darkest parts of me. Are you
1: comfortable sharing what the, what some of those parts are?
0: Oh, if, if
1: not absolutely no. no I no am. Biggie.
0: Here's what I'll say, and if anybody who's listening to this listen to the other episode, this will probably make a lot of sense. I still have baggage around men. I don't mean to. My partner does not really identify as like man necessarily. That's not a title that he's like yes that's who i am therefore it it sort of misses the mark but he appears masculine and Mm -hmm. so sometimes i just look at him and i'm like look at you upholding the patriarchy by sitting on the couch you know whatever it's like there's these things that have nothing to do with him and they flare up in me and they make me get mean they make me get like you know conflicty and critical and all these parts of me come out and like even in the moment I can kind of acknowledge like this is not quite in proportion with what happened Uh, I find it really embarrassing after the fact when we like talk it through and I apologize or you know whatever it is Um, and it's not to say there's nothing there right there's almost always like a real thing to talk about but I know that my nervous system like jacks it up because it's a man doing it Mm -hmm. or whatever and I, I don't care for that and I would rather he never saw it ever but you know, in the interest of, like, radical transparency, which we have. He has seen and heard it all, and he holds it really beautifully, and he has a lot of compassion. In fact, right when we got together, I was, like, describing it, and I was like, I hope you never see it, but just so you know, this is a thing, you know? (laughs) And he was like, uh, I called it my little monster, and he was like, well, you know, like, I'll just, like, leave treats outside your little monster's cage and let it know that it's safe.
1: So when you do have a, I don't know what the word would be, overreaction, uh, a, a A reaction that that you're not proud of, that you feel like is maybe not proportional, does he call you on it or do you call yourself on it and go to him and say, you know, uh, that might have been a little intense?
0: It depends. I think we've both gotten so much better at like communicating through these moments that it can be either of us now. I think in the beginning he did it and that was really hard to hear because when I was like i don't know man ego i guess i was like i really don't want that to be true i would much prefer that i'm like in the righteous position right now and yeah. you're the asshole because you know men but kind of having to take that apart and be like oh that was not the story so was it a process beginning to own your shit oh yes absolutely and i mean therapy in there. yeah he's great and and always always shows up with compassion like 100% of the time is like I'm on your team. I am not attacking you for this. I am not being like shaming you for this. I am telling you that I'm on your team. You're safe. Can we please like look at what's really going on here?
1: You know what big game changer for me was beginning a conversation if I if I felt like I needed to speak up is to preface it with I want to be closer to you.
0: Ooh, I love that. And
1: Here's this thing that it's just my feeling about what happened. And I have to tell you because I want to feel like we're a team.
0: I would say that that is really the crux of like the partnership work that we've been doing. I've never like thought to quite put it like that, but I love that. And also I feel like in the beginning, I would do it through like rigid body, gritted teeth, like... I would like to be held, please, you know, like, because I couldn't stop that, but I didn't want, because obviously I can tell I'm sending the signal, get the fuck out of here, I'm going to burn the house down, and, like, what I wanted most was, like, please come over here and hold me, I'm scared. And, so hard when yeah. your central nervous
1: system yeah. is going,
0: fight, Yeah, fight. Burn it down. <laughs> and I do, I go to fight. I will sometimes go to flee, but but fight is real ready locked and loaded for me
1: well here's the plus about flea is we get to burn some calories and we look more popular
0: (laughs) can't say that to me i'm a body (laughs) neutrality coach
1: so let's talk about um one of the things jesse and i were talking about before we sat down to record is um i want to try being the worst of society as you talk about your story Mm. you know the voice that you would meet Maybe if you were on some super intolerant (laughs) TV show. network. (laughs) Yes, because uh, I would imagine there are a lot of people out there that have these experiences that don't know what to say or shut down. Not that there is any perfect thing to say, but uh, I feel like a practical conversation around that as uncomfortable as it is for me to (laughs) to to say those things um i I think the listeners know that these are not my opinions and thoughts this is you are
0: going to get canceled though someone's going to take it out of context i didn't even think about that oh my god (laughs) martin says um anyway so i especially around gender i feel really really passionately about having these conversations this way because i feel like it is actually pretty intuitive and reasonable and it doesn't have to be charged but when you have come at it from a place that it's like these people are insane and they want to like take over our rights and uh, destroy families like it's really hard to reach that and I feel yeah I love this idea because those are the people I want to reach
1: uh, so trope number one you hear uh, you are uh, you want they them uh Pronouns, because you want attention?
0: Ooh. I guess I don't really understand that one. I don't either. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I could argue, I guess, but like, I think I would just be mostly curious to ask that person what they meant, like how that would get me attention. Um, I suppose they probably see it as being like you want to be special, to stand out, to be different, mm-hmm. which, okay. So to that, I would say... Um, I don't know how is it different than any other aspect that a person sort of declares about themselves like I love hockey and you know I'm a writer like do those people do those things for attention I don't know sure sort of yeah because they want to be seen in these ways I want to be seen in this way so I can't argue that there's an attention quality I am asking for you to put attention on something that matters to me so that's not totally off base but it's meant to be an insult and that part doesn't land right
1: Let's see, what's, what, what is another trope I, I see is um, you want you want to confuse <laughs> our children.
0: Oh, yes. Well, we are coming for your children, America, so please lock your doors. Um, gosh. So to that, I will say, I don't remember the name of the study or anything, but there is a study done on um, left-handed people during a period of time where it kind of like became socially acceptable to be left-handed. Basically, before that, they made everybody be right-handed. And then a while went by where you were kind of allowed to choose. And then they did a study and they were like, oh my gosh, in the last like 30 years, people have become way more left-handed, right? Like and you could interpret that data and say yeah i guess there was some insane spike that happened around that time that made people left-handed but actually the truth is people have always had the same proportion of left and right-handedness. right handedness we just made it all okay for them to exist
1: right which which is something that that it boggles my mind that that person of average intelligence cannot <laughs> no, see I do that, with that, yeah. that this is not a fad <laughs> yeah. it's just becoming safer yeah you know there's been a a sea change yeah. where now people have had
0: enough of hiding yeah so it's queer people have always existed trans people have always existed we can look at almost any indigenous culture and find evidence of you know like uh native americans have uh, Two spirit in certain tribes. And, and there's just there's different in every uh, part of the world. There's different ways in which gender has been fucked with outside the binary for as long as we have evidence. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we're just like making people be queer or trans or whatever, it's nonsense. It's just that um, as things get more progressive and acceptable and more and more people are coming out of the closet, as it were, like it looks like there's a surge, but there's no surge. The yeah. surge is just invisibility.
1: Uh I think maybe my favorite uh, one is the people that say, you're just calling yourself trans so you can come in the bathroom and I don't know what, hear us take a shit because that's your turn on.
0: Okay, so this one, I have a lot of compassion For women who have been traumatized under patriarchy at the hands of men, not wanting someone who feels male presenting or could overpower them or feel really scary or dangerous to them coming into a private space where they get naked and do vulnerable things, have a lot of compassion for it. I understand where it comes from. And if we think about who's assaulting who and where and in what numbers, that is just not the... Like, I don't even know why this is an issue. It's not the threat that, like, you know, certain uh, places will make it sound like it is. Because that is not what trans people are doing. They are not in a bathroom to assault you. They just want to go into the bathroom that aligns most closely with how they identify and or appear. I go into the women's room because I look like a woman and I don't want to battle anybody and be like, I'm non-binary. Like, nobody's trying to, like, (laughs) take a stand. They're just trying to take a pee, you know? Like, it really is not... It is not, um, I think, deserving of so much attention, the bathrooms issue. But I will also say um, I get why people are scared. And I Mm. think that that should be held gently as we have these conversations. And that is certainly not what has happened. Like, the whole thing is just really, really fraught.
1: Well, I feel very strongly that why is anybody shitting next to anybody? Why Great are there question. Why are there not just individual bathrooms?
0: Yeah, they can I mean, do it for like they always have like a family bathroom or something. Right.
1: Why aren't they all that we way? Family? Well, I know it's going to take up more space. The line no, might yeah, be longer, but I wouldn't mind waiting uh, a couple of minutes so I don't have to hear the person next to me.
0: I agree completely. <laughs> and I actually think, I don't know uh, that the United States is one of them, but I've seen a lot of um, sort of policy stuff moving forward like in the uk and stuff where people um and policies are moving away from like gendered bathrooms in general and coming up with something more like that
1: what have been and those are uh the the mean segment of society's questions i I don't know if i can think of any more can you think of any more tropes that kind of get hurled
0: (sighs) yeah well i feel like non-binary doesn't exist like that is a big one because i think that with like um oh shit what was her name like the first uh popular trans woman who was the Kardashian Oh Olympic. Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. So Caitlyn Jenner was like this first big, you know, reveal that our culture had to contend with like a trans woman who was like a man of respect that we liked. Like oh well how could this be, right? I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna be an old fogey and say uh-huh. uh Dr. Renee Richards in the seventies um had um surgery and it might have been Sweden I for I forget what but that was the first one that ah. I remember coming coming on the 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 radar but Neat. I it I don't think it was ever dealt with in a way um that was more than a 5 minute news piece yeah. that was sensational that mm-hmm. really got to the to the root of her explaining why she transitioned That's from really being assigned male at birth to Hmm. uh to being a woman but that that maybe that's just me being a know-it-all so let's let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner
0: so I feel like that sort of started the like cultural reckoning that we've seen in the last however many years around just that trans people exist basically um and they can maybe be normal okay people like like that happened like kind Mm -hmm. of afterward you know And, uh, I do feel like it's easier for people who are cisgender, straight, more traditional to understand, like, a full cross inside the binary. Like, you were born a woman, you feel like a man, you switch, and vice versa. Like, I think that makes more intuitive sense when that's your concept. I think it makes less sense when you say non binary to someone like that because they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a thing. You have to pick a side. Like, everybody has to pick a side. How could you not know which side you're on? Um, and so I, I do find a lot of pushback there. I think a lot of that's generational. Like the younger people just sort of go like, cool, done. Like that's it, a non-issue. But I think it's hard to explain to someone who who feels very um, like they fit that binary and they mm-hmm. get the binary to be like, oh, I'm just, I don't feel like either. Like, it's really simple to me. It doesn't feel like I have a long explanation. I just never really identified with being a woman, but I didn't know I was allowed to use other language. Don't identify with a man. Here I am. (laughs) I'm non-binary.
1: What what were your first thoughts and feelings around, I don't feel like a woman? Do you remember how old you were? What your thoughts were?
0: Um, I will tell you, the first time I said it to someone else, I was probably like 25, and I told my friend that I believed there was a girl Jesse and a boy Jesse. And that felt like the scariest and most vulnerable thing I'd ever told anybody. And uh, that was before, yeah, that was before there was like this language. It was probably a few years after that that I heard non-binary for the first time.
1: How did your friend... Oh my
0: god, he's wonderful. He was like, "Wow, like thank you for sharing." What? How does that feel to you? You know, like it was, it was great. But when I finally told my family and I told my mom, and she was having a hard time understanding it, and then she comes back to me after one of our first conversations, she said, "You know what? I remembered." She kept this journal from us kids, just stories about us kids when we were little. And one of the like family stories is I was probably like five and I was like in the back of the car and I just pipe up like, you know, mommy, if I could have a penis and a vagina, then I could be a boy and a girl. And like, you know, it was just like, ha ha ha, little Jesse, very cute kid. Um, But I was like, because she kept saying like, I don't understand. Have you always felt this way? I was like, mom, like the journal, read the, yes, always. But I I wasn't, I wasn't given the concept and you kind of can't know stuff without concepts and language and, and containers for it, you know? So as a kid I would have chosen to be a boy if someone had just given me like a choice. Um later on I probably would have been like, "Oh, I'm okay with being a woman." But Never, It never felt good. There's a lot about it that always felt sticky.
1: Did, did people, when you were a child, did people, uh, for instance, your choice of toys or games, were, were they more classically male? And if so, what were some of the things you heard? I had heard? an
0: older brother who was like a year and a half older than me and got everything I ever wanted at every turn. And I was given some stupid girl toy at McDonald's or like, you know, the family members who didn't know us well, you know, it would be like a boy gift and a girl gift. And I would just be like that looks so cool. And I have like a Barbie that I don't like hate. And yeah, it was, I call this like the death by a million paper cuts thing of, um, it's not like I ever had a complete meltdown about something, but I constantly felt wounded by something like little wounds over and over and over my entire life. And so naming it as, Oh, I'm non-binary means I don't have to keep getting wounded because I can tell people who I am. And they can hopefully, believe me. And, uh, you know, even gendered language now, like to hear, um, my dad has a habit of using like the most gendered language a person could humanly use in every sentence. And so I'll just like be on the phone with him for 30 seconds and he's called me a woman five times. And, you know, it's like a lot. I'm like, man, every little paper cut, right? It's like, I'm not like, oh, I'm so offended. I'm just like, ouch, ouch,
1: ouch. And has your dad ever referred to you as they, them? No. So he doesn't even make the effort.
0: No, no one. Uh, neither of my parents have. My mom is working on it. We've talked about it, and and she's promised to try. She called me her child once instead of her daughter, so it's like we're making little baby steps. Um, but I don't, I don't know with my dad that it's going to happen.
1: When you were a kid, going back to the disappointment with the toys you'd be given and the presents you'd be given. Um, did did you ever say anything and if so, how how was that dealt with?
0: So I would say yes, and it led to more paper cuts. And this is kind of the thing. It's like the exhausting thing of not fitting the expectation of you is that in order to advocate for yourself, you then have to deal with other people's like confusion, surprise. Like I can't tell you how surprised my parents were year after year after year when I said You know, or to whoever, anyone, teachers, friends, like, um, oh, you don't like that? Oh, it surprises me. And it's labor to deal with someone else being surprised by who you are over and over and over. So I would find it really exhausting. And sometimes I just was like not up for doing it. You know, I'm like, I just, I I can't deal with, with like one more person being like, what? (laughs) Over something that really ultimately doesn't matter, right? Because they're all tiny examples. They're all just, you let them go. And then you're like, ouch, ouch, all day long.
1: I I think that's sometimes what um, the person doesn't understand when maybe they get an intense reaction from somebody who's non-binary. They don't realize that it's not really them personally that that person is unloading on. It's that you're the 500th person
0: (laughs) that has said that this year. It is. It
1: is. Which which doesn't excuse somebody right. exploding on somebody. But.
0: Um... And I do feel very aware of that where like I, I don't want to put someone in a position of taking the brunt of 500 things when they've done one. But I also like, you know, I try to pick and choose my battles and sometimes things upset me more than others. And so sometimes it does come out um, in ways that will surprise me like I cried at a family party recently just because there was like a little toast given to me about my book and it was so cute and my dad stands up and there was just so much gendered language and he stands up and he's like, we're proud of you, young lady. And I was like, I can't, I can't. Like no one is listening to me here. No one is trying. And it just feels like I don't think it would be that hard. It doesn't seem like I'm asking for that much. But yeah, so that one came out.
1: Yeah, I I would say to anybody out there that is struggling to change and help that person feel seen. It's not about how perfectly you do it. Just Mm -hmm. give them the sense that you are trying.
0: Do you know what I think of it too is like no one in my family has said I don't believe you. That would be like that would be very rude and, and unexpected. But by not trying it feels like they're saying we don't believe you. And like that's a weird thing to do when someone tells you who they are. So to me I feel like I did this like, you know, open-hearted, vulnerable thing. I'm like telling them who I am and for it just to like instantly disappear is it's this feeling of like do, like, do they think I'm lying? Like, what? What's mm-hmm. happening? It's very, it's very disruptive to the relationship, very confusing. So, to me, make all the mistakes, ask all the questions, literally fuck up as many times as you can, mm-hmm. just to get it out of your system and know that it's okay to do it. Because by showing up in that space, literally, all that matters is you're saying, "I believe you. You told me who you are, and I believe you." Mm-hmm. And for me, sometimes I'm like, I don't think it's that. Um, well, I understand that it's complicated for people, but. It, do, it feels like all I'm asking for is to be seen as a human, not a woman, and I, I feel like that is literally just okay. I believe you. You're a human, not a woman. Like that would be what I wanted to hear. You know, pronouns aside, gendered language. Like, I believe you.
1: I was at one of my support group meetings last week, and um, a couple, a couple of people were tagging along with me. I was giving them uh, a ride. And these were people that were in in rehab, and one of them was a trans man. And um, a person – at our, and 99% of the people at my support group – and it's a men's stag – and 99% of the people at this are lovely, compassionate human beings. And this guy um, has a lot of issues, as you can imagine, this guy that reacted, not the trans man that mm-hmm. – uh stormed out saying within earshot uh that ain't no man that's a fucking woman
0: Ugh. so you can
1: imagine this this person who is in their first 30 days of sobriety
0: yikes
1: has all those yeah. emotions coming up trying to find a group that trying like to find a group Ugh. and the support that he was he was met with because, thankfully, he uh, – you know, that guy stormed stormed off, didn't stay for the meeting, and the trans man stayed um, for the meeting. And probably five or six people, when they shared, uh, said, you are safe here. We got like, your back. You yes. are fucking welcome here and fuck anybody yeah. that feels any differently. But after the meeting on the drive home – you could tell that he was shaken and obviously yeah. this was nothing new.
0: Yeah.
1: Um but it 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 was really sad and it made me so angry and I just wanted to go up to that guy and, and just fucking punch him in the face yeah. and go, dude, what even if you believe that, I what know. do you have to lose I know. by just keep it, you know, is is a trans man's presence gonna make your meeting any worse?
0: This is how I feel about, like, body shaming things, too, or, like, (laughs) you know, there's the people who are, like, I should be allowed to shame someone who's fat because they need to get healthy or whatever. Like, there's so many problems with that. But I would say just the basic point that I keep coming up against and, like, can't get past is, like, what does it do for you that being quiet doesn't? that you need so bad to hurt someone, harm someone. Like, we know that uh, homophobia, transphobia, weight stigma, like, it leads to higher rates of mental illness and suicide and homelessness and all these things. Like, just maybe don't add to that and be upset and believe what you believe. Like, obviously, I know that that's not, like, a great solution, but I just don't understand why it's a non-solution entirely. People can't do it. People who feel that way also need to hurt the person, yeah. To assert, like I do not believe you. You are wrong and liar and a bad person and whatever it is. And that's so heartbreaking and so frustrating. It's so freaking unnecessary.
1: It is, and 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 I know that that deep down inside um, that person that that exploded is there is shame about their past and of the course. things that they've done. And you know that's that's no shocker. But you know, I think I think what really, if you if if somebody who has a problem with trans people, non-binary people, switching to using they them, mm-hmm. they just don't want to be inconvenienced.
0: I mean, if it were just that, it would be a lot easier to solve. I have had people come onto my page and be like. Uh, like, she's lost my support after this they-them nonsense. Like, peace, I'm out. No, thank you. Like, you're a woman. Like, okay. A, I don't want you following me, so lovely. Have a good day. Right. But also, like, why take the time to tell me? Like, why? What? What is—you have inconvenienced yourself at right. this point to let me know uh, that you think I'm wrong. And,
1: and, you know, if we're going to address uh, language that— People might feel like, well, why is it necessary to to change it to that word? Let's look at the military. Let's Mm. look at the word neutralize Mm -hmm. instead of using the word kill. Let's look at the word casualty instead of um, killed or wounded. Let's look at the word counterinsurgent instead of the people who
0: are defending their homeland. That is a great point. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Although maybe that's why it feels so threatening to people uh, of a certain persuasion is because they're like language is the beginning of cults, which like is fair, <laughs> and right. you know maybe that makes it especially threatening that we have like new gender language. I don't right. know. Right. But you know if we're going to get into
1: criticizing language <laughs> and these people really want to yeah. be consistent
0: yeah and of course there, there's like the classic um you know pushback of like it just doesn't make sense because they is plural, but uh, I always say um that the the example everyone has used and can understand is when you're telling a story to your partner and want to obscure the gender of someone you are hanging out with in the story right, right. because then you understand how to use the singular use of they real easy. oh, I just went out with a friend, they were really upset about something at work, and so I was helping them feel better like. Nobody's confused about how to use it when you're trying to, like, not get yourself in trouble.
1: That's a great one. I got to remember that Mm -hmm. one. Uh, One of the things you shared with me before we started recording was that um, you're in a non-monogamous relationship now. What, What does that look like? What are... Um, the things that you did not anticipate maybe that have come up? Uh, so many. What, the negotiations, the transparency. What does yeah. all of that look like?
0: So when I met my partner, I had become pretty sure at that point I had been doing a lot of like reading and talking to people and understanding uh, a lot about polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, and I was pretty sure that was what I wanted, or at least I wanted to try it and find out. So I told him that upfront, but we dated for two months and then the pandemic hit. And so for several years, there was no option. It was not even like a thought. Um, and so then maybe a year and a half or so ago, we started like, OK, we said this is what it was going to be. We have these opportunities now again. The world is opening up. So I've been sort of tiptoeing into it. Um, I've learned so much, I have to say. like. Fucking other people is the bottom of the list of reasons to do this. If anyone's interested, it's just a very interesting experience. That,
1: that is because I I would have thought that that was at the top of the list, and I'm sorry <laughs> if that sounds ignorant, but I've never been in an open relationship, so. Um,
0: I mean, that's just me. I, everybody's going to come at it from where they come at it from, but to me, like the things that I've learned about myself about power dynamics in a relationship, about gender, about sexuality, about psychology. Like, I've become an infinitely better communicator and, like, helped regulate my nervous system in ways I didn't even know it needed regulating in. Like, so much growth work has happened inside me and our partnership since doing this that I'm like, I would do this forever. Like, it's so interesting.
1: What? Give me specific examples of how oh, yeah. those... um how that growth was facilitated by you, you now being in a non monogamous relationship.
0: Okay, so first up, we had this idea that it would be very sexy. Um, I was going to like open up a little bit first and we were just going to sort of like see how that felt. And I learned about uh, something called Stag and Vixen, which is like a dynamic where um, I don't know if you've heard of like cuckolding. Cuckolding has like a humiliation aspect to mm-hmm. it. Stag and Vixen is very empowered. It's like, Um, My, you know, hot partner goes out and gets to be slutty and happy and have all the sex and pleasure. And I just, like, love that for her. And so that was, like, where we started. Like, ooh, what an interesting dynamic. And I could, like, show you pictures or come back and tell you about it. And we'll both, like, find that really sexy. Uh, But the issue was I discovered very quickly that if I'm, like, on apps looking to connect with men for an experience like that, they're not going to be the men that I'm emotionally connected to. And if I'm looking for men to emotionally connect to, that's not the kind of experience I want to have with them. So, like, I was like, oh, shit, I, like, can't objectify people anymore. Like, I lost my I, – I, I can't get turned on in the context that I would have liked to get turned on to try right. this. So then we had to start over.
1: And was that a vestige of your um, sexuality from the days of objectification being a, a, a turn on?
0: Yeah, probably, because I probably could have enjoyed that yeah when i was younger but i think that yeah there was there was a new awareness of like here's what i need to get turned on now in my mid-30s in this stage of my sexuality and gender expression like it's not gonna be i want to find someone to hook up with like i can't enjoy that what i like is to feel crushy about someone but Mm. since i was The, the newness Yeah. I was hoping to have, like, sex without feeling, so that I could just try the, like, one scary thing without the other. But I was like, oh, shit, I don't know if that's going to work out. So we had to kind of, like, renegotiate before anything even happened because I realized, I was like, I am not into this. Um, We had to start over and be like, okay, what if we put emotional connection on the table? Like... It felt very threatening, but it also was like, if that's what is going to work here and that's what's going to be the most expansive for both of us, which is the whole point of the thing, then, yeah, okay. So uh, That must have been
1: terrifying.
0: Oh, yeah, constantly. But, like, also really, really empowering, really liberating, um, just, yeah, really expansive. And so having the permission to kind of explore anything, I mean, we basically went carte blanche. It was like... OK, like everything's on the table at every time. But you have to be communicative before and, uh, you know, safer sex practices and then also communicative after and willing to unpack and hold space for the other person's feelings. That's the rules. Uh, so, and like, how about answering any questions that they might have? I will. Absolutely. I love answering questions. I love asking questions. I feel like that's a really important part of the process. Um, yeah, I think that it wouldn't work without and we had always established like a really radical transparency in our relationship anyway um, but it wouldn't work without that and i think that's even gotten more intense since we've been doing this
1: have you ever found yourself i wouldn't say manipulating but um kind of
0: shaping your answers in a way to protect his feelings never and that's huge both because um, it's super important to me not to have to, or else it's not an expansive and liberating experience. Mm. If I have to, then I've done something wrong. And I don't know what I could have done wrong that I couldn't tell him, but otherwise, if I didn't do anything wrong, then it's just me being a coward. I have to say the whole thing, the the true thing. And also the thought I think that haunts me a lot is, and this goes both ways, if I ever found out that he massaged the truth on something – uh, that would feel like such an intense betrayal because we have agreed to radical honesty. If if it were like, oh, downplayed something, I would be like, I don't know that I can keep doing it because I need to know that I'm getting the real answer. And there's hard, really hard stuff in there. You know, for example, <laughs> I mean, it seems sort of silly to me, but whatever, I don't have a penis. He likes to know about like shape and size if I'm with someone with a penis. And I don't have a lot of thoughts it's not something that's like very present in my head of like taking notes on these things like so he would ask like you know was he bigger or smaller and i'm like i i don't know they're both dick sized i like i don't i didn't measure i don't know probably kind of similar and he's like okay so my brain right now is telling me that you're protecting my feelings and that it was bigger and i'm like it i'm not understandable though like i'm gonna hold space for that fear because it's very real um I'm not, but also, like, I just wouldn't even consider that better. Like, in my mind, there's no hierarchy, and I'm just trying to answer a question about facts. In his head, it's like, who has the power or status or hierarchy better, you know? So it's tricky in those ways. And there are things that can be better, too. That's the terrifying thing. Like what? Like, if I had bad sex with other people, and I could always say, you're the best I've ever had, there would be, like... A safety in that, but that's not the kind of sex we're trying to have, right? Like we're trying to have our juiciest, most full Mm -hmm. lives, which means there's going to be things that are better, and to have to say that to your partner, like what, or hear it, like if um, you're
1: if you're comfortable sharing.
0: Yeah, I don't know that it's really come up, but we've talked about it a lot because as we've gotten to each stage, we've like had to kind of process new things, Um, like if if someone was like better at giving head. Or, you know, uh, shape or size of somebody's genitals, like, felt better in a certain way. Better kisser. Like, these really, like, hierarchical details mm. um, that most people who don't have polyamorous relationships kind of lie to each other about. Would you use
1: the word better? Because that seems like a fucking gr- That's grenade. That's what I'm
0: saying. Uh, does so, he ask you? Does, does he use the word better? Well, we have talked about how to talk about it a lot. That's what I think yeah. is true. So it hasn't really come up, but we've talked about, like, making space for that to be true, making space for that to be okay and safe to tell the other person. Um, but also, like, I also kind of feel like he's my best friend. If someone gave me better head, I would kind of want to be like, dude, I just got the best out of my life. Like, I would hate to have to keep that to myself. So it's all of the things. It's messy. It's scary. It's fascinating. Um, and, and honestly, I think it makes me such a better person and like feel so much closer to him and my nervous system. This is the thing that surprised me. I, (laughs) because it was my idea, thought I was going to be very cool about it and take to it like a duck to water. And as it turns out, he is extremely cool with it and has done a lot of work to be like just totally in a place of compersion. Like he loves my pleasure. He loves that I, you know, and then when it's it's his opportunity on the table, even though my brain always says, I like this, I support this for you. This is what I want. My nervous system acts like (laughs) the world is ending and then he has to contend with knowing that he's causing me harm, which is, I feel terrible about. But it just is what it is. We just have to move through it bit by bit.
1: Has he ever used the word better about an experience that he had?
0: No, I don't think either of us have. We've just, I think, because that feels like such a scary thing to do, we've, we talk about a lot of stuff in advance.
1: Right. Yeah. Has he ever shared anything with
0: you about one of his experiences that you felt freaked out or threatened by? Um I mean, I've been threatened by all kinds of non-threatening things like you could just be like chatting with someone and depending on what's going on, it's like if I feel secure in our relationship, I feel really close to him. I'm feeling like very alive in my own life. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm like, get nudes. But like if we're starting to have a fight or there's something tense or I feel insecure about us or something's going on there, I'm like, shut it down. like, I can't. I can't, like, um, stay grounded if anything between us feels insecure about stuff outside of us. So that is definitely something that has happened. But we, we move through it. And it honestly, at this point, it's, like, gotten um, to the point of, like, I'm just seeking reassurance, comfort, care, safety. You know, and, and we know how to do that.
1: So is it uh, something that you guys are both kind of uh, in the place of, this, this is working. Let's continue with yeah. this. Um, do you think that for the most part, it, it has been what you envisioned? And if not, what are the things that
0: surprised you, disappointed you, were pleasant surprises? It has been so much harder than I envisioned and so much better than I envisioned. And I think that the better part is not what I would have necessarily guessed. Like, because again, I think my focus was sort of on like the fucking other people part. I don't know that I set out to like learn a catastrophic amount about myself and my partnership through doing this, but that is what it is. And I just love that. It really suits me, it suits us. So I think for that reason, it's been different. Like, the ways in which it has enriched my life are different than I would have guessed. So even though I can have experiences that feel expansive and sexy and lovely and wonderful, like, they are the side note to this thing I'm doing with my partner, you know?
1: All right. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Licking your toes. Yep. <laughs> she wants in. She's like, she said, open relationship. I'm into toes. Let's go for it. You need to have a very transparent conversation with Gracie after this about your body. Boundary setting,
0: consent. Yeah, Yeah, I can do it all.
1: Yeah. Um, Anything else that you'd like to share? Let's plug your book again. It's called Body Neutrality.
0: Body Uh, Neutral.
1: God. (laughs) Um, And what's your name again? (laughs) Where can people find you on social media?
0: Okay, so Body Neutral: A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues is the full title. You can find me on social media at Jesse Nealand on Instagram, and I also just got a TikTok, which is I have mixed feelings about, but you can find me there. And um, you can buy the book anywhere—literally, that you buy books or ebooks or audiobooks. But um, you know, buy from local lo- bookstores if that's an option instead sure. of Amazon or whatever. And my website's jesseneeland.com. And
1: Jesse is spelled J E S S I. And Neeland is K N E E L A N D. Jesse, thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. Many, many thanks. And uh, be sure to uh, check out Body Neutral. Uh, before I get into uh, some surveys just want to remind you guys um, a couple of different ways to support the podcast we could really really use your help financially and uh, I know a lot of you are in financial uh, straits uh, please do not feel uh, like you you need to donate money if you yourself are struggling take care of uh, take care of yourself um, but yeah, Patreon's a great way to do it. You can also do a one-time donation through PayPal or Venmo. The Venmo handle is at MentalPod, and um, you can do a monthly through PayPal. But you, we can't connect that to uh, reward tiers like we do on Patreon. So the the monthly donation through uh, through Patreon is a, is a great way to show your your thanks to uh, what we do here on the podcast. And, um, as I've mentioned in the last month or so, we started doing a Sunday hangout slash support group uh, via zoom for people at the $20 and above uh, level on Patreon. And it's been really great. And we've gotten into some deep shit and, um, it's a really, really safe environment. Some good, some good souls in there. So I hope you can, I hope you can join us. And we also started doing a discord thing so, um, people can connect uh, outside of the meeting. This is an email that I got from uh, Richard Wilson, and he writes, Dear, I am contacting you to assist retrieve his huge deposit Mr. Alexander left in the bank before it get confiscated by the bank. Get back to me for more details. Bars Richard Wilson. Uh he doesn't specify what kind of deposit Mr. Alexander left in the bank. And I'm going to imagine it was either handled by a teller or a janitor. And as I was researching this, I discovered that there are banks where there are employees who are tellers and janitors And they operate in the stall. So you just go into the bathroom and you knock on the stall. They open the door, you give them your money. And then they give you the money back out of a wet toilet, which I am actually a fan of because I like having wet money. It makes me feel like I exercised. That silence is me giving you a chance to let yourself out. This is from the misophonia, i.e., sound sensitivity survey, and this is filled out by. Let's see. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Silence Is Golden. That's interesting that you write that because we have an unreleased episode with Ruth Golden, who did a documentary about uh, her family's years decades of silence around uh the suicide of her i think it was her mother or was it her sister my memory is so horrible but um yeah i think it was the suicide of her of her sister yes or her brother or the janitor which one was it but i remember it was a great conversation i can't wait for you guys to hear that one anyway i digress what noises trigger you mostly people's chewing, slurping, or drinking, but it can also be annoying sounds like pens clicking or tapping of things on a counter or table. Certain trumpet tones in jazz music, my husband listens to a lot of jazz. I think those close to me would add many more sounds to the list. Is your relationship with the person making the noise affected by their noises? Sometimes I get really irritated by the noises, and sometimes it causes my husband to storm out of the room. Sometimes we have to eat in separate rooms. I try to control my irritation when the noises are made by my daughter and my stepkids. I usually get up and walk away, making some excuse. I try to control my irritation with my husband, too, but that's more difficult since he knows but doesn't always support me when the noise is making me angry. Are you comfortable telling people about your sound sensitivity? Other than my husband, not really. I fear what people will think, that it's weird, that they won't understand or care, or will just tell me to get over it, or that misophonia isn't a thing. What have the reactions been when you've told people? irritation. My husband often is irritated with me about this. I had to prove to him that it is actually a thing and now he has a bit more understanding and we've developed some ways of coping with it. At dinner we always have some kind of music playing in the background uh, in the parentheses takes the focus off the chewing noises. He will skip the tracks on his albums that really bother me uh, and he's keeping a mental list which I am grateful for. I just grin and bear it When I am with other people, I take a lot of deep breaths to try and keep myself calm. Do you have any other sensory sensitivities? I do not like being touched, including by people, certain materials, and clothing tags. Uh, Have you ever struggled with food issues? No. And by the way, this survey was created by a listener uh, who has struggled with misophonia, and they said you should really create a survey Um, because a lot of us feel like nobody understands us and that we're kind of alone. And, uh, and I said, well, will you come up with with the questions? I'd be happy to, uh, create one. Uh, and I didn't really understand about the struggles with food issues or the thing about, uh, trauma to, to the ear, but, um, I assume that they're not uncommon that, uh, Those questions were put in here. How long have you had misophonia? As long as I can remember. I never really understood it until I was in my late 20s. Didn't even know it existed until my late 20s. How many times a day do you get annoyed? It depends. Sometimes not at all, and some days many times throughout the day. Do you feel guilty about your triggers or the way you respond to them? Yes, it seems so irrational that this happens, and the immediate anger that I feel— almost a blinding rage, which is really not like me. It's like throwing a switch. I can go from calm and rational to immediate anger that takes a while to dissipate. Have you been diagnosed with a mental or physical health disorder or issue? And if so, do you believe it's connected to your misophonia? I've been diagnosed with bipolar 2, PTSD, and generalized anxiety disorder. I can't link anything that happened in my past to the sounds that bother me. Maybe it's lurking in the background, and I should spend some time exploring it with my therapist. Do you have a history of trauma? Yes, uh, and... and uh... Do you have a history of trauma, sexual, physical, emotional, or emotionally disinterested slash unavailable parents? Uh, And she writes, yes and yes. I was sexually abused in high school and was neglected by my parents growing up, which allowed the abuse to happen. Uh, Have you ever experienced trauma to the ear? Not to my knowledge. Um, Have you tried any kind of therapy, medication, or tools for your misophonia? Did it help? I've never thought to bring this up to my therapist, but definitely will. The only tools I have found effective is to minimize the noises through the use of background noise or avoidance of the noise. The anger is so immediate when triggered. I haven't figured out how to control it. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and the the I think we got two or three Shame and Secret Surveys in the in the pile to read, and uh, a couple of them are a little on the graphic side. Um, I know I should probably give warnings more than I do, but in, in many ways, I feel like the entire podcast should just have a, a, a trigger warning at the beginning. This is filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself something funny and deep. She identifies as bisexual in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was with an abusive partner, mostly emotionally, occasionally verbally, rarely physically. And one time he wanted to have sex, and I told him, I don't want to, verbally and clearly. He kept trying. I physically pushed him away and said, Leave me alone, and rolled to the other side of the bed. He kept trying. I just gave up. I was just laying there. He stopped before pe- penetration rolled off and said, it just feels wrong. I said, I know. I said no, and no means no. He said he thought he could convince me. Well, I had never said no before, so I guess he decided it just I just didn't mean it or it didn't matter. As usual, he was hoping to override my desires with his own. I don't think he saw it as abuse. I was also sexually assaulted by a stranger at a party. I don't care to go into the details, but the most traumatizing event was not the assault, but the reaction of my friends at the party when I told them what happened. You're overanalyzing it. That's hot. You overthink things. I tried to explain, yes, rough sex can be hot when I consent to it. But But I just got told how much I overthink things. That was probably the worst ever of my life, to be honest. Uh, Worst over anything else that has ever happened to me. My friends saying that to me, my worst fear and trauma throughout my life is not being believed where I go to others for support. I found it easier to go it alone because I will believe myself. Wow, that really fucking blows. And sometimes... We got to find new friends. That's the, the, yeah, Paul's pulling his soapbox out. That's the awesome thing about support groups. Uh, She's been physically and emotionally abused. My dad was emotionally abusive. And I feel to a lesser extent my family by normalizing it and gaslighting me when I spoke up against it. He would verbally abuse, berate, and go crazy and do things to scare you, like drive really fast when he was mad and swerve the car, threaten to take you to a metal hospital, or make you pack to live with relatives in another state, then take it back the next day, call you names like selfish, hypocrite, brat, manipulative from as young as eight over really trivial normal child things uh, she also had an ex who was physically uh emotionally uh and uh physically and emotionally abusive uh he was manipulative uh he would slap her and say that didn't hurt which which that's got to be a new a new a level for uh for narcissism <laughs> that didn't hurt uh Any positive experiences with abusers? Uh, My ex, who was abusive, I had also many positive memories with him. They're a bit tainted by how I see him now, but I remember being happy at the time. I know he did love me, and in a way, I care for him. I don't want him to remain abusive, and I hope he's able to become a good partner and give and receive healthy love. It makes me sad to think of him being alone and ashamed, because I know he does because I know. He is ashamed. I do not think his soul is inherently bad. It is just unhealthy. I know the many happy moments I had are also real. It does add complexity to my feelings about him and made it harder for me to leave the relationship, but it does not make the bad things less valid or real or change what I went through. I think many people stay in abusive relationships because there are good aspects to it. That make it harder to accept the abuse is real and intentional and not going away. I was not able to leave until I fell out of love. It is what it is. I wouldn't want to think the good things were not real or else the choices I made make no sense. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes enjoy people who have caused me stress or envy failing or wish them ill. Sometimes I want my exes to do worse than me in life, even though I love them. When someone has really hurt me, I sometimes imagine them being hurt in a really brutal way. And that calms me down. I would never really do those things or desire to harm anyone. It's just a coping mechanism to deal with frustration from being hurt. Darkest secrets. I've never told anyone about my ex trying to force me to have sex. I don't want to. It feels private but I also don't feel a need to share it. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. A man being so wild with animal attraction for me, he loses all control. Being impregnated and having the baby of the man I love. Feeling my sexual power over a man while giving him a blowjob and he watches. Um, well, I got to say, if a guy was given, if you were giving a guy a blowjob and he wasn't watching, that's a pretty shitty dude, What <laughs> is he watching the game? Is he looking out the window? What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I guess I've said everything I want to say. What if anything, do you wish for in my ideal universe? I make a beautiful old lady. I'm fit and healthy, and I'm productive and surrounded by love and community and nature. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared a fair bit about my abusive relationship with some of my friends, but no one knows all of what I share here. I was lucky in that I've met other women who survived abusive relationships and were able to empathize with me. It really helped me finally move on from the abusive relationship to have that support. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts and experiences? And this is the part of, of this survey that I that I really like because I've interviewed people who uh, are victims of uh, domestic violence, and this this uh, helped me understand it. I think even more than the conversations that that I've had previously. She writes, "I guess I want to validate people who entered into unhealthy relationships or." took a while to leave them, or have not left them. All relationships serve a need. Once I realized my need for connection was so strong, it was stronger than my need for respect, safety, or autonomy. I saw how my body slash mind was really trying to meet my needs. At that time, connection felt like a matter of life or death for me. Your psyche will do almost anything to meet your needs. So don't shame yourself for the choices you are making or have made. And it is okay to love your abuser. When I was leaving mine, I went back to him because no one would allow me to miss him or grieve because they saw him as a monster. If I tell people now about my abusive ex, they still say he's a piece of shit. For me personally, I never saw my ex that way. I think he treated me like shit, but I don't hate him. If you feel that way, it can make it hard to find the validation you need to leave because hearing how shitty your abuser is will not resonate you with you. You may miss your abuser. Pity your abuser. Love them. That is also okay. You can have multiple feelings towards someone at once. That is so profound and so eloquent. Thank you for that. That, um, wow. You're a very uh, wise and intuitive and compassionate person. I think that's what I like about it more than anything, is you are able to see the human underneath the hurt. And that's really hard sometimes, especially when somebody has treated us like, uh, like garbage. Uh, this is uh, from the Shame and Secret Survey. Is there a love on this one? Yeah, I almost skipped some loves in my demented state underneath the ocean. This is filled out by Frank, and he writes, I love the sexiness of certain men. I love figuring someone out because of one thing they said. I love getting dressed up. I love fashion. I love good music, and more so, the more obscure it is. I love knowing that anything that bothers me doesn't really matter because reality doesn't exist or whatever. You know what I mean. I love playing a sport so much that it feels natural. I love wrestling, even though I've never done it properly. I love cuddling, enveloping the body of someone I love who loves me, even though it's been years and I might never find that again. Those are awesome. Thank you, Frank. This is another shame and secret survey I filled out by a woman who calls herself a mellow yellow hippie chick. And she only partly filled this way one out. Uh, she is in her thirties, identifies as bisexual. Uh, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. When I was six years old, my mother and father were going through a terrible divorce because my father had to travel to different countries for his job three to four months at a time. My mother felt that he abandoned her and my three sisters. My mother would have us all watch Girls Gone Wild porn all night. So she resorted to getting a boyfriend and abandoning my sisters and I at home alone for weeks. During this time, my sisters told me that we have to play the Girls Gone Wild game. They told me that I had to suckle their breasts and rub their vaginas until they squirted. They seemed happy when we played that game. So we played that for three more years. Wow. She's been emotionally abused. I feel that my parents totally ignored my existence, and I was forced to please my male and female family members sexually. That made me feel that that was the only way they would like me and want to play with me. Any positive experiences with abusers? The positive experience is that they no longer make me do those sickening acts. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes think of pushing my parents in front of a bus. Uh, Darkest secrets. Uh, I dream of selling everything I own, moving to another country, not telling anyone, and just starting over completely. You know, I'm reminded of of the name of that John Cabot zinn book, which I think is called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And uh, in support groups, we call that doing a geographic, where we think... Our problems are, are just uh, contained in the city that we're in and the people that we're around. And I think that can be true to some degree. But ultimately, um, I think for us to feel freedom, a lot of the, the work has to be done in, in processing this stuff that we're holding in, maybe that we've never said out loud or um, gotten an objective opinion from uh, an impartial, compassionate person. Uh, and that, that's the end of uh, the survey that she filled out. Uh, these are some loves from a person who calls himself the IRS. I am not a fan of you. I love the smell of a well chlorinated pool in summer. That's such a good one. And that is like not a common one. But I, you know, they say that our sense of smell, of all our senses, is the one that is most intensely connected to emotion. And I com- couldn't agree more. Uh, that just, I don't know about you guys, but in summertime, I could just live at the pool. It was just so much fun. I love the intensity of citrus blossoms in an orchard. And I love the comforting comforting sound of Gracie's collar when she shakes it. Uh, and the sound of the paper when surveys are read. I'm glad to hear that because, of course, the over-analytical part of my brain every time Gracie shakes is like, oh, your podcast is so unprofessional. This is uh, also from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this one is a bit graphic. Um, This is filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as, why is choosing a name so hard? They identify as asexual. Uh, And then they say, I've come to realize that late in life I am asexual and that I do not find people sexually attractive. I have had a very low libido my whole life, but always participated in sex because I thought you just had to. Uh, They are in their 40s and say that they were raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. They were the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. From the age of five to the age of 10, my brother, who was seven years older than me, would sexually abuse me, which included digital penetration, oral sex, and inserting various things into me, including broken pencils, uh, attaching things uh, like clothesline pegs, hair clips, etc., to my labia, pretending to take photographs of me, thankfully prior to digital cameras, uh, he also abused my cousin once in front of me, and I have reason to believe he also molested other children. It started when my parents went away for several months and left us in the care of an auntie. So I feel like, so I didn't feel like I could say anything. And by the time they were back, it was just normal. Uh, and by the time they were back, it was just normal. It started while I was asleep. It may have started earlier than that but that's when I became aware of it. The worst, and worst is in capital letters, thing ever was one time when he told me he would stop if I wanted, but was fingering me while he said and said he wanted to keep doing it. So I just said it was okay. I eventually told on him one time, but I found out mom always thought it was only one time. I was sexually assaulted by a friend in my youth group when I was 15. We were traveling back from an outing, and I was in the middle of the back seat next to the pastor's daughter on one side and my friend on the other, all under blankets or coats. He pinned my legs open by looping his left leg over my right leg and fingered me for hours on the way home while I pretended to be asleep. I wrote him a very angry letter about it the following week, but never reported it. I've had three different boyfriends who each decided to surprise fuck me in the arse during the course of our relationships, and I would just freeze and wait for it to be over. I never mentioned it, even though it would hurt and make me bleed and cry. Man, that is a lot. Any positive experiences with the abusers? My brother was my idol when I was little, even during the abuse years. He was always mom's favorite and was extensively abused emotionally and physically by my dad so I felt terrible for mentioning something bad about him and for hurting her he has been there for me at different times of need in my adulthood though now our parents are dead I have almost no contact with him anymore thankfully he never had children nor did I or I would have felt like I had to intervene darkest thoughts my marriage is crappy I lost all sex drive when I went down antidepressants and forced myself to have sex, even though I didn't want to, for years, till I had grown to hate it so much that I just couldn't do it anymore, and even then my husband pressured me for years, but would never talk about it. He's an alcoholic and a chain smoker, he has depression and terrible hygiene. I sometimes find myself just hoping he will die so I can be free, but without losing the house. My plan is to outlive him. A lot of the time, I feel like I hate him. Darkest secrets. The abuse mentioned above. The fact that writing about it has really turned me on, which is not unusual. The body and the mind, uh, it it is a a complex and sometimes really baffling thing. Uh, I once ran away from a friend who was drowning in a swimming pool because I knew we weren't supposed to be there. Luckily, she was rescued and never spoke to her again because of it, not doing anything to protect my cousin when my brother molested her. She used to follow me around and copy everything I did, and it drove me mad. And once uh, I made up a horrible, cruel song about her and just sang it over and over till she ran away crying and she stayed away from me after that that's up there, is one of the worst things I have ever done. Sexual fantasies, most powerful to you. On the rare occasions that I am horny and want to do something about it, I usually fantasize about abusive-slash-rape scenarios, bondage and discipline, father-daughter-slash-grandfather-granddaughter incest, abusive doctors being sexually experimented on, being completely immobilized and fucked by total strangers, being fucked by mutants or monsters, something that brings in the element of disgust. I'm actually super into alien tentacle fantasies at the moment as they combine disgust, being immobilized, being overwhelmed, all that. I like pain and resistance in the mix. I like cartoon bondage porn, in the parentheses, like Gary Roberts when there is no bloodshed, Bloodshed uh, is what works best, and my fantasies have an unreal quality to them that while not actually cartoony, they are not at all realistic. I don't feel much of anything about sharing it here as this isn't a person I'm talking to. I know other people like the same stuff because it's out there for me to find. It makes sense that my sexuality is wired this way from the abuse and also from my neurodiversity just sort of doubling down by masking into abuse and dysfunction. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to have been able to tell my parents that I am autistic and ADHD, and they probably were too, that actually I was not a terrible, horrible child. I would like to apologize to my cousin for that awful song what if anything do you wish for why can't everyone just fuck off and die so i can be alone and at peace eh the thing i secretly wish for but would never admit to because it's just so selfish i wish that i had never ever gotten fat i am too fat now Even if I could lose weight safely, my skin is ruined. I will never, ever have the body of someone who has never been fat. I have always been fat. That is what I would wish for. A body with a clean slate like that, that could be what I make of it Uh, and wasn't ruined by 45 years of being not good enough. I wish humanity, I'd wish humanity out of existence in a heartbeat. And then parentheses, you know if I could make sure the monkey paw scenarios were all covered and I actually got what I intended. And restore the earth to the plants and animals. I might wish to have never have existed if I had the chance. Life really doesn't seem worth it and doesn't live up to the hype. It makes no sense and is pointless, but you just have to keep on plodding along Wishing to never have been abused or to be neurotypical is the same thing as wishing I'd never existed, that the person wouldn't be me. I wish I would have been able to ask and access support much sooner. I wish I had known I wasn't sexually attracted to people and didn't have to do sex in relationships. I wish I could be free of the obligations and relationships that my life so far has saddled me with, but without losing the benefits. I would love a clean slate. It's too late for a fresh start, but it would be nice to run out the clock with less stress and compromise. Have you shared these things with others? I've told a few people about my abuse, but never got a response I liked, so I won't anymore. I guess in honesty, I don't know what response I would like, so what is the point? I've never told anyone about wishing people dead or out of existence. I've never told anyone about my sexual fantasies. These are private, and I'm not interested in sharing them with anyone. I don't want that level of intimacy with any person. How do you feel after writing these things down? A bit hollowed out. A bit weird to have to be back to normal after visiting this very buried place. A bit aware that I might actually be super depressed and not have realized it there's a lot of what's the point going on in my thinking. I'm glad that you can see that because um it's it's um it's concerning reading this. Um and I think it it might be advantageous for you to maybe give uh Finding some kind of support, another shot, whether it's a therapist or support group or somebody who is proven to be trustworthy and compassionate because you have got a lot of plates spinning in the air emotionally uh, with this, you know, you've got the body image issues, but more than that, feeling trapped financially in a marriage that it sounds like brings you no joy. I think that would be worth talking to somebody about because a lot of times you know we think that we're in a prison and the you know the door the door is open we just tell ourselves oh there's no key there's no key for this thing and it's very easy I think when we get depressed to to get into that that hopeless that hopeless state of mind that that um You know, this phrase has been popping in my head a lot the last two, the last two days is whatever it is that you're, you're struggling with, what would you say to your best friend if they were struggling with it and just be your best friend. But it's so interesting how we will apply it differently to ourselves Uh, that, you know, that'll be a hassle or that's not going to work out. Would you tell your friend that? Would you tell your friend, uh, don't go. Don't go for support. It's it's going to be a waste of time. No. You would be saying, can I give you a ride? I'll go with you to your first meeting. What can I do? do you, can I help you find a therapist? And then finally, these are, uh, but uh, thank you so much for that survey. You, you went really fucking deep and uh, that could not have been uh, pleasant, dredging up all of those things. So I, I really appreciate it when you guys uh, do that. Because that's a big a big, big part of the, of the podcast. And then finally, uh, these are some happy moments filled out by a woman who calls herself headache. And she writes, "I love when my boyfriend's cat screams at me outside my room uh, the first thing in the morning and gives me good morning kisses." I love how his cat will follow me to the front of the house to say goodbye when I walk to work. I also love how his cat lays on top of me and the vibration of him purring on me makes me fall asleep. As I'm writing this, he, the cat, is laying on his back at the end of the bed. I appreciate his cat for helping me let go of my grief after my dog passed away a couple of years ago. It shocks my boyfriend because he's never seen his cat do any of those things to anybody else before. Oh, love it. Love it. Those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while, I remember I used to talk about my dog, Herbert, and uh, he died in, I think it was 2017. Um, but he was, he was not a people person. He's like the opposite of, was the opposite of what Gracie is like. And uh, he, if people would come through the front door, he would bark. He would back up. He wouldn't get near them. He'd get about six feet away. That was like the distance that he would keep. So you weren't sure if he was going to lunge forward and, and bite them. He never bit anybody. Actually, he bit a veterinary tech one time. <laughs> Herbert's teeth were so bad, it didn't go into the person's flesh. Herbert's tooth fell out. (laughs) Uh, But Herbert was that way with almost everybody except for um, my friend Russ. And they would come over for the holidays, and Herbert would get up in Russ's lap and fall asleep on his back. In Russ's lap and it was just such an amazing thing and that's always baffled me what it is that About a particular person that an animal will will favor Anyway, what are we at 108 minutes? Should we go 200? Many thanks to to Jesse thanks to all of you who uh, filled out surveys Super, super thanks to those of you who've been signing up via Patreon. Um, It means a lot to me. And um, what would you tell your best friend? Be your best friend. I got to remember that one too. Anyway, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just never forget, you are not alone. And thanks for listening.